Before I ask our esteemed guests to come up um, and preach today's word, I'd like to extend our hospitality by formally introducing him and welcoming his family who's here with us today. Kings Cross Church has supported the Long family and their missionary work out in Indonesia for the last few years, five to be exact, and we have the joy to see them and hear from them in person after a long season of virtual notes and videos. So we have them here in person today. We're so glad to have you join us and deliver God's word. Welcome, Pastor Jim. I'll go first, because Jim will probably put you to sleep, so I'll get you while you're awake. <laughs> um, yes, if you didn't realize, our last name is Long, L-O-N-G, and he does really preach long sermons, as those of you who have known us for over 20 years can attest to. Um, so I'll try to keep this short. I'm going to give the mission portion of the presentation um, today, and I just want to let you know this is like coming home for us. Jim and I started ministry here in New York City, um, and we lived in Flushing over on 147th, near the elementary school that you used to meet at. Um, so we spent our first two years here, and it was a rude awakening for both of us. I'm from the country part of New Jersey, and he's from the upstate part of New York. Um, so he was the urban cowboy. He would wear his cowboy boots, had his pickup truck. <clears throat> it was fun, but um, we had a great time um, ministering in the city. We were over then in Elmhurst for the next eight years after that. Uh, we went upstate for a couple of years, and it was our little bit of break before God called us to Indonesia. We were not expecting it, had no desire to be missionaries, um, but uh, that's what happened, and we were also not expecting to end up back in the States uh, after eight years over there when the pandemic hit. So just to briefly fill you in um, as to our whereabouts, what we're doing, you guys have been so faithfully supporting us for the past five years and the work over there, and we're going to share that. Um, but just to let you know, we came home um, kind of in the middle of the, the beginning of the pandemic, and tons more I could tell you, but that would take an hour. I married into the last name, but I am usually a little quicker, so I won't do that to you. But you're always welcome to email us, text us, and we can fill you in on lots of things. But we ended up kind of getting stuck in the States. We couldn't get a visa back to Indonesia. And so we were living with Jim's folks. The kids were doing online, all-night school, if you can even imagine that, for an entire year. We said, Lord, what are you doing with us? Um, and he said, I'm going to bring you to Missouri, <laughs> to the middle of nowhere. <clears throat> um, lovely state. My mother is from Missouri. I swore I would never live in Missouri. It's a landlocked state. So... God, with his sense of humor, said, well, I'll put you on a lake in Missouri. So we now live at uh, Lake of the Ozarks, and it's a huge destination for people in the Midwest. They come on vacation there. Um, and it has been a blessing. So Jim is helping a small church there. Um, so God gave us some work to do while we were um, stuck stateside. <clears throat> Um, and now things have started to open up in Indonesia. So we've been able to travel over. Jim's been able to get back three times now. And the beauty of technology, right? We're always saying, oh, watch out. It's so terrible telling the kids, no, no, no. But what a blessing technology has been. And um, people have come to the Lord 
through the ministry online. Jim preaches uh, every week online and um, live streams into the church and does a Bible study prayer meeting online. Um, so it's been able to continue the ministry uh, as well. Uh, let's see. I lost my train of thought. Oh, so we're currently in Missouri. We don't know for how long. Um, and so one thing I just wanted to tell you about transition time, embrace it. People think I'm crazy. I said, I'm living in a country called Moindo, Missouri, Indonesia. And that's how I've kind of uh, been able to function, um, kind of going between two different places and living in something that I wasn't expecting. Um, but God is so good. And as he, I say, as he divides, he multiplies. As he uh, maybe takes you from the place that you were at, maybe someone's leaving. All of these different things that are painful or can be painful that we feel like are dividing us, tearing us apart. It hurts sometimes, but God has a plan. And um, in that plan, he's multiplying his work. And that is what we're seeing uh, in our ministry in Indonesia, especially as missionaries, you can kind of feel a little bit alone. You're doing the work and you're so focused and you're working so hard. Um, that sometimes you're not allowing other people to come into that work with you. And that is a, a big place of growth that we've seen for us, is that as we were sort of forced to step out and kept out of it um, in a direct, hands-on, physical way, God raised up the leaders. And we see this most especially in our Mission Caritas team. And that is what um, you've been helped supporting. That is what you've been partnering with us in. And I'm going to show you some, some slides and talk to you about what Mission Caritas is. It's like your diaconate team, right? It's a, it's a, it's a deacon's fund, let's say, where we help. Oh, here we go. Um, we can move to the next one if you want. <clears throat> This is the, the team that helps those around us that are in need. Um, and so currently we support um, Indonesians that uh, don't have enough to buy groceries. We work with the refugees. Uh, we supply every week, we supply drinking water for the refugee camp. Um, and so it's groceries. It's the tangible things. It's helping people with medical bills, um, especially our refugees who have no medical care, no education. They're not allowed to work. They are not allowed to do anything in Indonesia. And so we try to step in um, and help with those things. So we have a team that is on the ground working right now. So many people have stepped up. It's been so beautiful to see helping to make those decisions, going out and helping these folks. And when you're on the ground, you're kind of doing it, right? And, and how often are we letting others partner with us? Um, and this has helped us to do that. So talking about partnership, um, we've started an outreach to children that literally live under a bridge, literally. Um, their families live in these makeshift huts under a bridge. So people come together, partner together to help them with schooling, uh, to help provide for them. And one of the ways that we can do this um, is partnering with some of the ladies that uh, attend Providence Anglican. Um, they are Filipino teachers um, working in Indonesia. And their specialty um, is doing puppet 
puppetry, puppet shows. So um, part of Mission Caritas is supplying food to bring um, for the puppet show, supplying uh, supplies that they might need for their schooling. So this is some pictures of the um, puppet show that they put on not long ago for the kids under the bridge. Okay, we can go to the next one. <clears throat> On the um, prayer list, one of the things that we just sent out to you um, with one of our prayers was from a team from Taiwan that is partnering with us to help come and care for the refugees in Indonesia. So again, another way that by us kind of not physically being there, it's opened the door for these partnerships. So praise God. So they are there right now. These pictures I just stuck in from last week. They're spending two weeks. Um, so this is them arriving and getting settled. And we go to the next one, and I'll show you some of the work that they do. Um, so they're teaching healthy habits at the refugee camp. As you may or may not know, Indonesia is the largest Muslim nation in the world. So you're not allowed to just get out on the street and evangelize. Um, but you can share the love of Christ in other ways. And so they came in and, and were teaching healthy habits to the kids in the refugee camp. And next slide, we're going to see um, some of the stress management techniques that you're allowed to do. You're also not allowed to come in from another country and help uh, with any medicine or um, medical care that has to be done in-house. Um, but we have some uh, stress management techniques that we can help with because um, they are under a lot of stress. And uh, as Jim had, somebody had mentioned oh, in our group before, some of these families have been stuck in Indonesia for 10 years, a lot of them from Afghanistan. So um, it's a very difficult situation for them. Next slide. And celebrating uh, the trip with naan. Um, and so one of the ways that we can help to support them, they bake the naan. We'll find somebody that's doing the naan baking, and we'll, we'll give them some uh, gift for the naan. Um, and so we're able to have them help, and then we know it's something that they really enjoy, and so we have a non-party, and everybody in the camp can share it. Next slide. Okay, so here we are. There's a picture with some of our um, PAC team um, after worship service, and so it's really exciting because we're seeing everybody serving together, and uh, that's one of the biggest blessings that's come out of us kind of being stuck stateside, and we're seeing the, the growth and serving together. So um, on that note, we're, we're seeing the growth in how we're serving, but we're also seeing um, a really exciting growth in our church service there. One of the other prayer items on our list was that we really need a place to worship. You can't like, you're here in Flushing. It's really hard to get a building, right? It's almost impossible to find land to build a church. It is doubly impossible in Indonesia. Um, and so most places will rent a spot in a mall. Um, and the problem we've always had, I hate to say problem because God always works everything out, is we've never had anything that we can use 24-7. So probably the same as you're experiencing here. Where do you do ministry during the week? How do you do that? Um, so we have been really praying about that because we're launching, we can go to the next slide. We're launching um, a Bahasa ministry um, in Green Bay, which is a huge apartment complex where we used to meet. 
And so as we're coming out of the pandemic, we're having to rebuild everything over there. And Aan, who's our assistant pastor, is going to be fully ordained come November. And so our main goal right now is to launch the um, Bahasa language. It's the Indonesian language ministry there, um, most specifically for that apartment building. Um, and so our prayer was that we could get a spot that could be used all week. And I think we're weeks away. Praise the Lord. The contract was signed, sent to our dean, and it looks like it's, it's going to happen. So thank you for your prayers for that. So that's very exciting. So here's some of the small group that Aans had. And here we're blessing uh, a Muslim woman that has come to service. And we can go to the next slide. Also, uh, we have a weekly Farsi service. We have a refugee who is now attending seminary class online, and Jim is helping to get uh, him prepared for the ministry. And um, they have a weekly service that meets. Jim writes the sermon, sends it to Brother E, as we call him here, and he translates it and preaches it to the men, um, and they gather once a week. So that uh, is really developing and praise the Lord, and thank you for the prayers for that. We also have a mission point in Bali. During the pandemic, we lost our um, building for that, and so that has kind of scattered a bit, but because Jim still has an online, uh, preaches online, they're still able to tune in, um, but he was able to, on one of his visits back, get together with the men. We recently had one of the uh, refugees was baptized. So even through all of this, people are reaching out and sharing, sharing uh, the love of Christ, and people are responding. So just on back to that idea of um, dividing and multiplying, um, here we're divided physically from our church family in Indonesia um, and our ministry there. God put us in Missouri, and it's a long and beautiful story. But just a few weeks ago, on the same day, we had two ba three baptisms, I should say. Um, Ariana and Kai, who recently... Um, last year started attending church in Missouri, were baptized in Lake of the Ozark with Pastor Jim, and around the other side of the world, um, this young man, Brother R, we'll call him, uh, received the Lord uh, from the Muslim faith, came to the Christian faith. Jim and Pastor Aan have been working with him for a couple of years online, um, and he received the Lord and was baptized. So here we have a beautiful example of divide and multiply, and on the same day, clear across the world, we had all these baptisms. So we just praise God for his, um, his growing the church. It's not our work, it's his. And our motto this whole time has been, because if you know me, my nickname is Plancy. I love to plan. And so this has been a real growing stage for me that I... I can't plan it. I don't need to plan it. We need to wake up every day and say, Lord, what do you have for me today? He's going to take care of all the rest of it. So um, praise, praise God. Thank you for your support. And Jim's up. <laughs> all right. Thank you for the privilege of uh, this pulpit. I'm happy to open up God's word with you this morning. The first place we're going to turn is to Matthew chapter 28, uh, the Great Commission, beginning down around verse uh, 18 or so. 
of Matthew 28. Uh, But before we begin the sermon, uh, let's pray and ask for God's help. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. You are my rock and my redeemer. I place all of my trust in you through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who rules and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit as one God, now and eternally. Amen. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, we're going to look at verse 18 through the end. And uh, before I read that, I want to just frame Matthew. We're actually going to go kind of through two, two books of the New Testament this morning. Matthew is the first one. It begins with a prophecy about someone called Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means what? God with us. I want you to remember that. Now let's look at the Great Commission in Matthew 28. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. You know, we read elsewhere, I think in Luke, that they doubted for joy. And so I don't think this is to be taken as they, you know, they weren't sure if it was really him or not. They were so overjoyed to see him again, I think that's the best way to read this, that they were just beyond belief. I can't believe I'm seeing you again, Judy, and just doubtful because of joy. Is it really you after all this time? Well, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, and now we're going to go through the four alls of the Great Commission. First of all, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's the first all, all authority. Can we say it together, all? Whenever someone asks you, what right do you have to share your religion with other people? If you really wanted to, I don't think it'd be worthwhile, but if you wanted to, you could tell them, I have this right because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ, God's Son, And he commissioned me to share my faith, which he gave me, with others. And never ever back down from your responsibility to share Jesus Christ with others because that is what he left us here to do. And when you stop doing that, you'll stop being what he has called you to be. The second all. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Okay? So, we don't have a Western religion. We don't have an Eastern religion. We don't have a Northern religion. We don't have a Southern religion. We have the religion that God foretold in the Old Testament that he sent Jesus to establish in in in, in the first century that Jesus passed down to his disciples and God chose the Jews. Yes, he gave us the Messiah through the Jews, but to use a little bit of New York lingo, he chose the Jews to save all of yous, right? Christianity is not for the East or for the West. It is for the whole world because Jesus commissioned us to take his message to all nations. I was, uh, you know, in Bali, they have a very beautiful 
a version of Hinduism, uh, outwardly at least, where they have flowers and incense and they, they float out these little offerings to their gods on the ocean in the morning with incense and a Chinese coin. Don't ask me why a Chinese coin in this little thing that floats out in the ocean. And it's beautiful. And uh, one, one man at a, at a church in Indonesia was getting angry with me because why are we ruining the beautiful religion of the Balinese? And the only thing I can say is because Jesus told us to tell them about him. And whatever beauty is reflected in their religion pales in comparison to the beauty of the gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, and fellowship being reconciled with the Heavenly Father that Jesus has for them. And so we are to go to all nations. Here's a key phrase, which is in the dead center of the four alls, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Do you hear that? This is very, very important. The next all, then, is teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so this means we don't just have a Pauline Pauline gospel where we just isolate the letters of Paul and that's all we teach people. Jesus said, teach all the nations all that I've commanded you because I have all authority that's been given to me in heaven and on earth for this very thing. The last all, lo, I am with you all the days to the very end of the age. In some of your Bibles, that all gets, gets sucked into the word always, right? But there are four alls if you read this in Greek. All authority, all nations, all I've commanded you, I will be with you all the days to the very end of the age. And who is with you all the days to the very end of the age? It is the one that you met in the very beginning of the gospel who is introduced as Emmanuel, which means God with us. The one who is now with you to the very end of the age as you carry out his commission is God with us, and Jesus is God with us, and he is with us now through his Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to show you something that Judy Chang knows because she was with me, and Lou knows, and Joseph and, and his sister know, Lily, but, but most people have never uh, looked at this the way I'm going to show you, and I apologize, it's going to be a little bit dramatic. I'm not naturally dramatic but I'll do my best. Matthew chapter 3 and 4, there is a passage which is parallel to the Great Commission. Let me show you what I mean. It begins with a crazy lunatic out in the wilderness with a camel hair garment on, eating locusts and wild honey, and he comes and he's shouting out in the wilderness. He's the voice of one calling in the wilderness. And what is he saying? He is saying at the beginning of chapter 3, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I'm going to act this out for you a little bit so you see the literary structure of chapter 3 and 4. It begins with John the Baptist preaching, Repent. Now, if you come over to chapter 4 and you're reading along and you come all the way over to chapter 4, verse 17 you have once again the same exact message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But who's preaching it in verse 17 of Matthew 4? It's no longer John the Baptist, 
It is now Jesus Christ. Now, after John the Baptist preaches, repent, there's a prophecy from a prophet. If you're from uh, Hong Kong, it's Isaiah. If you're from Queens, it's Isaiah. But it's the same guy, no matter how you look at it. And there's a prophecy by Isaiah just inside that preaching. Well, if you come over just before Matthew 4, 17, there's also a prophecy by Isaiah. But this prophecy is directly about Jesus. This prophecy was partly about John. Now, after the preaching and after the prophecy, there's a little bit of a tiff between John the Baptist and a group of people that he gets upset with, and he calls them a brood of vipers. Chapter 4, Jesus faces the original viper. He has his temptation in the wilderness. And in biblical literature, this is called chiasm. You have matching elements that, that match each other, and they build down to a kind of a center sometimes. Sometimes they just come in and out. Sometimes they come to a center. John Kennedy used this when he was running for president. He said, think not what your country can do for you. Think what you can do for your country. And that's chiasmus. He took the phrase and flipped it inside out, and none of us whoever knew about that speech have ever been able to forget it. It makes a very memorable uh, piece of rhetorical work, or in the case of the Bible, literary work. And so you have this chiasmus that comes down to the center. What is in the center of the chiasmus? It is the baptism of Jesus. And who's at the baptism of Jesus? Well, the Father speaks from heaven. And he's speaking to Jesus, of whom he says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And as Jesus is getting out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. Now watch this. Between this baptism, framed by that chiasmus, that Jesus endured, and the baptism that Jesus commanded in the middle of the four alls that frame the baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, between the baptism that Jesus endures, where the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are present, and the baptism that Jesus commands in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the entire ministry life of Jesus is in those brackets, between the baptism he endures and the baptism he commands, at both of which the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are deliberately mentioned or even visibly, in the case of the Spirit, present. Every sermon Jesus ever preaches in Matthew, every miracle he ever performs, every demon that he casts out of the poor, tortured people who he delivers, every single thing he does, his death, his burial, his resurrection, every single aspect of the ministry life of Jesus on earth as Matthew presents it, is contained between Trinitarian baptism and Trinitarian baptism. And so if you ever have friends in these little, you know, Christian sects that tell you 
that, that baptism isn't important or that there's no such thing as the Trinity. Have you had people tell you that? The word Trinity is not in the Bible. Listen, if I have a hamburger, if I have a patty made of beef and I have a bun and I put the patty on it after, roast, after uh, grilling it and I put cheese on it and I put a lid on it and I give it to you, whether I call it a cheeseburger or not, you have just received a cheeseburger, right? So while the word Trinity may not be in the Bible, the Trinity is in the Bible, and that's, that's what we, we're describing it by coming up with the word Trinity. Now, that's Matthew, okay? From Emmanuel to Emmanuel, from the, the baptism in the name of the Trinity to baptism in the name of the Trinity. Here's the problem. When we come to the book of Acts, this ministry, this great commission, doesn't happen anything like what it looks like it's supposed to look like. It doesn't look like what it, what it reads as. And so let's open our Bibles over just very briefly. You don't have to turn here, but you could if you wanted to. I want you to see that not only does Matthew base his, 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 uh, his, his description of Jesus on Old Testament prophecies, in Luke, even the Great Commission itself is based in the Old Testament. Let me show you that, and then we're going to show you how it unfolds in Luke, and I think that's what's going to be encouraging to you this morning in your current circumstance. First of all, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, then you won't know what's happening here in Acts chapter 1, where Luke is the author of Acts and Luke, and he repeats the story of the ascension of Jesus, and he has his own kind of great commission in which Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, right, in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, if you if you had ever read the book of Isaiah the prophet, you would have read this in chapter 44, verses 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. Besides me there is no other God. You are my, do you want to guess? Witnesses. You are my witnesses. Is there any other God besides me? There is no other rock. I know not one. I could almost preach a Pentecostal sermon on something like that. There is no other rock. I know not one. Do you know of one? Do you know of one? No. There is no rock like our God. We used to sing a song about that too. Well, when Jesus comes now and he says, you are my witnesses, in the mind of a Jewish person who's familiar with the books of the prophets, they have to be thinking about this passage in which God is spoken of. And he says, you are my witnesses. And I believe that you can see here that Luke, no less than Matthew, who has Jesus as Emmanuel, promising to be with them as they carry out his great commission, maybe Luke is also reminding them of who this Jesus is, who is telling them, you are my witnesses. It is he who is one with the God of the Old Testament who originally spoke, saying, you are my witnesses. What now happens, though, in the New Testament? It doesn't happen according to plan in any human manner of speaking. 
you know, we get together and we have our committees and we have our meetings and we have our sessions. And as Presbyterians, you are famous for planning, you know, how Redeemer Church was planted. I mean, Tim Keller had it all down pat. I had a kind of a casual church out in the country, kind of like what you guys do here now. Uh, you know, come in your shorts, hang out, wear your baseball caps. But then when he came to Manhattan, he said, that stuff won't fly here in Manhattan. We have to use the big hymns. We have to have a traditional worship service. We have to pitch it high. We have to have it so high that it's above their heads because that's what everybody in the congregation is experiencing at work, right? They're experiencing things that are over their head. So I'm going to throw it over their head. And he threw it over their head for many years. And now he's way over all of our heads <laughs> next to his Savior Jesus. I love what he said. He said, there's no downside to my death. No downside. But he planned everything very carefully, and, and in his case, his plans coincided with God's plans, and it all worked out, and here everybody is in all the whole Redeemer network. But that's not how it worked out in the book of Acts. First of all, you got a big problem because, if, you know, if, 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 if I was a good Korean pastor, I would be ready to make you all feel guilty because you're not headed out to the mission field, right, to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth, and I could really make you feel so guilty that you'd be crying and weeping, and you'd either be crushed and give up on Christianity, or you'd go out and, uh, you know, go crazy, you know? And you would go across the world, you know, preaching the gospel uh, until you ran out of gas. Well, God bless the Korean missionaries. I mean, I've seen the results of their fruit. And I have Afghanis in my church that were baptized in a bathtub by a zealous uh, Korean minister. So I'm not putting that down. But I want you to see how it actually happened. It didn't happen anything like what it looks like it should happen. These guys stayed in Jerusalem. The apostles are in Jerusalem for the whole story except for occasional trips out, and they, and they seem to keep coming back, except for the Apostle Paul. And in fact, a few chapters from now, there's a, there's a great uh, crisis. Of course, leading up to the crisis, there's great success. They have their first hiccup when the Greek Jews are not getting their fair share of the, of the money uh, given to the poor, right? And so the church is growing, 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 and all of a sudden, we've got a problem, right? In their case, uh, the, 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 the deacon's fund is being misused. In your case, we lost one pastor, we're losing another pastor, and now what are we going to do, right? What comes next? Well, they said, let's assign seven men, seven men, find seven men among you who are full of the Holy Spirit, and, and you know all the qualifications, you've been studying for deacons, right? a good reputation, and so on and so forth. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to give them the money and let them carry on the ministry because we have to devote ourselves to two things, prayer and the ministry of God's Word. And when they make that decision, one thing that happens is now the church begins to immediately grow again. But I want you to notice something that most people miss. There's a little line that's just dropped in there and left there as if, oh, by the way, this happened. Do you know what it says? 
at that time, a great company of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, I have to be careful. You know, we're not talking about Roman Catholic priests. We're not talking about any other kind of priests, but Jewish Aaronic priests in the Aaronic order that we're serving. Now, you have to remember, the priests were the first people. Do you know this? They were the first ones that knew that Jesus had risen from the dead. The highest priests were some of the first people to know Jesus had risen because they made a big mistake after the crucifixion. They asked Pilate for a squadron of guards to put around the tomb. And when the stone was rolled away and the angels came down and the thunder rolled and all those guards were knocked flat on their faces, they went back to the priests and they told them what had happened. So there's no lack of understanding of the miraculous aspect of the Christian faith among the Jewish priests. They knew that people had been healed, they knew people had been raised from the dead, and the leaders of the priests especially knew that Jesus had risen from the dead, and they still didn't believe. Why did they believe then after the deacons were assigned? I'm going to give you my best guess. Because in every religious system around the world, the important thing is controlling the money. We want to get in control of the money. We want to have power over the money. There was a Chinese church out in Washington State where the treasurer didn't like the pastor, and so he just stopped paying him. Just stopped paying the pastor. Didn't matter what anybody else said. He could sign the checks, and he didn't pay him until the pastor finally put his tail between his legs and left. And he was a broken man. Who controls the money? I believe that it was the releasing of the money to the deacons, where the apostle says, we don't care about controlling the money. We care about the ministry of the word, and we care about prayer. I believe that when the other priests saw the apostles doing what they were supposed to do, they said, these guys are for real. And so now they begin to be obedient to the faith. Not all the priests, but a great company of the priests became obedient at that moment. But now we get to Stephen. Now here's where the sovereignty of God, which is what I really want to emphasize in this sermon above everything else in evangelism comes into play. God has delivered Peter and the other apostles from prison, did he? He did it twice for Peter. Remember the chief priests, they locked Peter and these guys up, said, we don't want you preaching like this, and they, and they were released miraculously, and God told them, now you go preach in the temple. And so before the sun was even up, they're out in the temple, they started preaching, and it was time for their trial. The, the priest said, okay, bring them in. They said, they're not in prison. Where are they? They're in the temple preaching. So is our God able to deliver us from prison? Is he able to deliver us from wicked politicians? Is he able to deliver us from communists and from socialists? Uh, one little boy came home from Sunday school, and the mother said, what did you learn in Sunday school? He said, this is in the old King James, right? I learned that the Lord Jesus came to save Republicans and sinners, right? Whoever it is that you think is the enemy, which is probably different than who I might think is the enemy, whoever you think is the great enemy that's, that's controlling everything and you have no power, God, if he was able to open that prison, he could open up your prison, whatever it is. But when it comes to St. Stephen, we learn something. Stephen is not delivered. He sees Jesus, but God doesn't stop them from stoning him, and God doesn't raise him from the dead. 
Jesus receives them straight into heaven. James, when it comes to James, God lets them kill James. Wasn't anybody praying for James? See, this is how some people tell you. See, there were people praying for Peter, but the Bible doesn't tell us anybody was praying for James. See, the problem is that you're, you're prayerless people out there. Is that true? Maybe you are. In fact, I like to tell the people, powerless preaching is God's punishment on prayerless people, but that's just an excuse. God saves one group of apostles, but he lets this one deacon, Stephen, die. God saves Peter. He's locked between two guards, and God lets the chains fall off, but James is executed. Because God does not arrange things in such a way that our plans dictate anything to him. And I'm going to tell you something else. Your prayers don't dictate anything to God either. God is absolutely sovereign. And it may be that he will move you to prayer. And he will use your prayers according to his purposes. But you never get to become a little god or goddess so that your prayers are swaying God to do something that he never planned to do. How was the Great Commission, how did it see its first huge consequence? Get the preaching on the day of Pentecost, okay? You have the setup of the deacons, that created a lot of goodwill and more people came to Christ. But the most impressive revival that I read about in the New Testament is what happens after Stephen is executed. Stephen is killed, and you say, well, God, please, now help us. Are you going to help us now? And it's as if God says, no. Kaboom! Such a persecution arises, led by this little squirt Saul, that every Christian in Jerusalem is forced to disperse, except for the 12 apostles. You say, well, I thought they were the ones that are supposed to go out to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, but they're not the ones that go. I've heard some pastors even criticize the apostles. God help you if you stand above the apostles and you're going to criticize them. I think you'd better be very careful about that. They were right where God wanted them. And the commission is not just for them, it's for all of us. And they had their role to play in it. But here we find out now that Philip, what was he assigned to do? He was assigned to help the poor. He was assigned to distribute bread, to wait on tables, to do the things that the apostles didn't have time to do. But now he is flung out of Jerusalem. He lands in Samaria. Have you ever seen a fire where the sparks go up? You know, you're throwing a big piece of newspaper at the campfire, and big sparks go flying around, and then they're landing on the leaves. Oh, no, a fire here, fire here, fire someplace else. What happens is that this persecution ends up sending the sparks of Christianity everywhere, and Peter lands in Samaria, and now instead of waiting on tables, he just does what comes naturally to him, he continues to share God's word with people. Have you ever heard about Jesus? You know, have you heard about what happened down in our neck of the woods? Uh, did you hear about the crucifixion? Did you hear about the miracles he did? Whatever he said, he was ready. And this is the key thing that I want you to be aware of. Why don't you cultivate in yourselves a heart that's willing to do what God wants you to do, a lifestyle that reflects his priorities and principles so that wherever you get flung, and you could be flung far and wide in the years to come, even in the months to come. It could look so hopeless that you don't even know, can we go on uh, as, as, a, as a congregation together? 
everybody, pastor here, pastor there. You know, these members quit and they went, now these joined the EPC or something. What, what are we going to do here? You know, by the way, I think that's a very bad, <laughs> it's like, you know, you want to move in the right direction, right? You don't want to go backwards. But anyway, that's another story. Um, God sovereignly ordained that Philip would land in Samaria. And when he landed in Samaria, God gifted him with miracles. And he was able to heal people. And he was able to cast demons out of people. He was able to do all kinds of wonderful things. But the most wonderful of all was that as he preached, people came to faith and they were being baptized until finally they had to call for the apostles and they brought Peter and John and they came up and they, and they laid their hands on those who had been baptized so that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We have the, what we sometimes call the Samaritan Pentecost. And now I want you to imagine that you're Philip. Are you ready? Imagine that you can heal people. You've healed this one. You healed this blind guy. You healed the leper. You cast demons out, demons here, demons there, and it's not this fake stuff like you see on TV. There are real deliverances and real healings. And tons of people have come, and now you have a huge congregation, and now you're not just a deacon. You're actually doing the work like a minister does, and so wouldn't this be a great place to spend the rest of my ministry in this giant congregation that God has assembled around me? And God says to him, uh, by the by, Philip, I would like you to go down uh, by that desert road toward Gaza. Yeah, but Lord, there's no Samaritans. I have a gift with Samaritans. Lord. I mean, you see the, the relationship I have with these Samaritans, God. I mean, they love me. Yeah, right. I want you to go down to Gaza. And he goes all the way down to Gaza, and he meets the Ethiopian eunuch reading out loud in his book. When I was in seminary, the Korean guys would sometimes, from Korea, they would sometimes read out loud, right? We don't do that in America. We read quietly. But in other places, I think you're weird if you read quietly. They think something's wrong with you. But, uh, but this guy was reading old style. He's reading out loud in his, in his carriage. And so Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? He just happens to be reading Isaiah 53. And it's all about Jesus. Just happens to be, right? Now let me ask you something. Could Philip have planned that? Could your committee of highly educated Princeton, Harvard, Yale, uh, what's the school everybody goes to up in the SUNY, uh, uh, I don't know, Binghamton, wherever you guys went to college, and we were all top of our class, and now we're playing, we're making this great plan. You know, God might or might not use it, but when the Holy Spirit moves, that's something that cannot be gainsaid. It can't be resisted. And what are the chances of meeting somebody on a chariot that's reading the most, the most poignant passage about the Messiah? And he, he gets up in the chariot and he leads this guy to Christ and he can't wait to get baptized right there and so he baptizes him. You will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, Judea, in can you say Samaria? And the uttermost parts of the earth. And that, that eunuch is heading out pretty far. But the book of Acts, I want you to understand this, it's a journey to Rome. You ever get upset? You, you read it at the end, it's like, 
Why did he end it like this? What, what happens next? Did, did the Apostle Paul, you know, did he die there? Did he have another adventure? How do we understand this? Luke says, I don't care. I'm done with this book. Paul got to Rome. What is Rome? It is the center of, of the ancient world. And once you get to Rome, you have now touched the, 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 the nerve that, that touches the rest of the world at that time. From Rome, every place could be touched. And so that's how God took the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. There's nothing in the Bible about Thomas going to India. I don't doubt that he did. It's not important to the story because it's not just the apostles who are given the Great Commission. It is all of us, but not every single one of you is called to Indonesia. And not every one of you is called to be a missionary with YWAM. You know, like they tell you, you're all supposed to go out. No, no. Some of you are supposed to be where you are until God scatters you. And how God will show you, I don't know. But this is why we pray. God, here I am. Right? Here I am. You take me and you do what you want with me. I love it in Queens. I love the good pizza. And I love the karaoke spot. And I love, you know, being able to get conveniently to places on the 7 train. Maybe God will keep you here. But maybe God will take you someplace else. And I can tell you that in our life, I have seen complete ministry. Our ministry in Bali was almost completely crushed. Let me just tell you this one story, and that'll be the end of the long sermon, okay? Just before COVID shut everything down, I'm flying back and forth to Bali every week because I've had Sunday morning, Sunday night in Karawachi, Sunday morning church in North Jakarta. Nancy drives to the airport. I fly to Bali. The next island up the chain, we do preaching Sunday night. Then we do evangelism Monday night or Tuesday night. Wednesday morning, I come back to the special needs school. Thursday morning, I catch my breath. Friday, we start all over getting ready for Sunday. And that's how my ministry was. We had just organized formally in Bali, and we had a real church going. And then COVID struck. I'm driving back and forth on the airplane. People are coughing on the back of my head, sneezing, pulling their shirts up, sneezing. And, and you guys, can you imagine? And there, people are starting to die all around the world, and here are these people sneezing and coughing on me. And I'm going back and forth. Well, just before everything shut down, I'm in my rooms, and there's a Chinese girl, maybe, you know, 29 years old. She's sitting in the corner of the hotel room. It's not a hotel room. It's, a, it's like a public dining area in our place where I stayed. And she's got all her bags packed. And in my mind, I said, I know what happened to her. Check out at 11. She doesn't have a flight until later tonight. And she doesn't know what to do because she, what's she going to do with all her baggage? You know, go to the beach with your suitcases all around you? Nothing. I get out a coconut. And I'm not very good. The guy had told me how to do it. But I was going to chop it myself. So whack. Second whack. I hit my thumb instead of the coconut, and blood is everywhere. Well, now the houseboy, the, 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 the desk clerk, the Chinese, mainland Chinese girl, they all come and give me advice how to stop the bleeding. So finally I get the blood stopped, and we all sit down together at the table. And the, the receptionist tells the Chinese girl, by the way, Jim is a pastor. And she says, oh, you're a minister. Well, I hope you ministers know what's going to happen next, right? You better have your Kleenexes because she finds out you're a minister. She's got all kinds of trouble. She, is, she has been through some horrendous upheavals in her life, and she has come to Bali to sort of sort out her, her, her you know, to find, to hear from the universe, okay? 
and she meets a pastor. So within about five minutes, the tears are running. The blood is not running down my thumb, but now the tears are running down her face. And so I said, you know, um, what time is your flight tonight? She said, it was around midnight. I said, we have a meeting tonight. Here's God. Could I have planned this? Just so happens that a PCA missionary to China and Taiwan who speaks perfect Mandarin happens to be my guest speaker tonight in Bali, Indonesia. <laughs> okay? Missionary to Taiwan and mainland China happens to be in Bali. He's our guest speaker tonight. What would you think of coming and listening to him? I think God, you know, I think the universe or something has arranged this. So, so she shows up and she hears the gospel very clearly presented uh, from someone who spoke her language. And right after that, everything shut down. She went back to China, which is not where she wanted to be. I went back to Jakarta and I couldn't go anywhere else for a long time. All the ministry shut down, but guess what we had to do? We had to put everything on line, right? You say, oh, this old white guy, he's going to say on the line, right? No, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> everything goes online. And now this girl in China can listen to Providence Anglican Church Jakarta from Beijing or wherever she is. And for a few months, and I had Bible studies, like almost like two Bible studies, plus prayer meeting, plus Sunday, because I'm stuck in my apartment. My family's in America. I'm in Indonesia. What else can I do? So I just preached and preached and preached. And, uh, well, then she disappeared. So now my church is gone. Chinese friend is gone. Ministries are all stopped. About three months later, I got a, another text. James, she calls me James. James, I thought you would be interested to know I'm going to be baptized in two weeks. My mother's friend came to visit. She happened to, can you say that? Happened to be a Christian, and she shared the gospel with our family, and I'm going to be baptized, and my mother has accepted Christ. And you can use your own terminology, okay? I know I'm with Presbyterians. If you don't like accepted Christ, you can say Christ has accepted my mother, if that makes you happier, <laughs> which is maybe theologically better. But the point is, I couldn't, when I'm not doing anything, and my whole ministry has collapsed in Bali, and it's still flat, pretty flat. While it was flat, by the way, an Iranian Muslim was baptized as well when I wasn't there. My Iranian refugee, whose whole life is shattered, whose family is in Russia, and he's been sick almost every week for the last few years, but he led his friend to Christ. So God will carry out his work. He will use you. Like Calvin said, you preach to everybody. Don't be surprised when not everybody accepts, but we preach to everybody. We don't know who God has chosen, but be assured of this that Christ has sheep because he said, I have other sheep who have not of this fold and I must gather them together also so that there is one shepherd and one flock. It's not about me. It's not about getting the next uh, great pastor for your church. It's about Jesus Christ. He said, I will build my church and he will and you can be part of it but you won't get to tell him how to do it and he doesn't depend on you. God is absolutely sovereign in this work, and that should be a great relief because he will build his church.
and you can be part of it. And he welcomes you to be part of it. And so humble yourself in prayer. God, what do you want us to do? I don't know. You have all knowledge. I don't. And he will guide you as you're going through your worst times. God is with you. Emmanuel is with you. God is with you. And he will never leave you. And he will never forsake you. And he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. And that's the only thing that you can really count on in this world. Thank you so much for allowing me the long sermon on this hot day. And it's a privilege to be here and just cherish Judy Chang. Uh, I didn't lead her to Christ, but I was her pastor in her early days after college. I'm so proud of her. But uh, I don't have to tell you about her. You, you have her. <laughs>